0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRungid.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I'll be referencing on this podcast can be found over at RickRungood.com. I'm telling you, now's an incredible time to sign up with the PGA Championship coming up right around the corner. I've got a ton of incredible stuff on Oak Hill. Got to meet their head professional and have a great discussion uh, with him a couple of weeks ago. Was down there. Uh, we'll be having a lots of conversations with people over there in the next two weeks before i make another trek cross-country for uh, for two days to be there. So I will have a ton of exclusive content for the website uh, in the upcoming weeks. So to receive all that, plus my three premium articles every week, all the stats and tools that the website has, are incredible ownership projections, and so much more. If you take the time to consume this podcast, especially the Sunday one, but do not have Rick Runkin in your arsenal uh, to be able to expand on listening to this podcast and do your own research. I think you're doing yourself a huge disservice. So sign up today using coupon code Andy. That is the important part, and we would love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast, we are going to break down the Wells Fargo Championship elevated event uh at a golf course that i'm pretty mixed on uh and i will expand upon why soon but let's start with the basics quail hollow club charlotte north carolina tournament debuted in 2003 and has always generally attracted a really strong field but this year the tournament will be an elevated event uh meaning a purse of 20 million dollars and a field including many of the world's best players, although not Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. Um, both those guys I've received words will be making trips to Oak Hill during that week. Uh, Rory McIlroy will, of course, return to defend his 2021 title at this course. Uh, and it's pretty much all the other guys, Scheffler and Rahm, obviously Zalatoris, uh, are the big ones. I don't think a playing either. Um, but last year, this event was held at TPC Potomac because Quail Hall, of course, hosted the 2022 President's Cup. Uh, and looking at the last couple of winners here, uh, well, actually, first, let me talk about, let me talk about some of the basics of the course and then some of the changes and some of the guys' that have won here since the changes, because there have been some very notable changes. So 2000, it was designed in 1961 by George Cobb, but Tom Fazio has done uh, multiple, uh, has done a fair amount of work to this course in 2013. He came back in 2016, 2016 was the big one because they were preparing for the 2017 PGA championship. The course is now a par 71 measuring over 7,500 yards. Water comes into play on seven holes. Bermuda grass head to toe pretty much uh, overseeded with perennial ryegrass for the rough Uh, greens are 6,578 square feet on average G 12 champion Bermuda Uh, and quail hall is a, classical you know big boy golf course that uh has obviously hosted this event plus the president's cup and the 2017 pga i think it is uh, an abominable major championship venue but i think that it's just like Tory pines like it's a really good test of professional golf um as a regular PGA Tour tournament. I do not think that it is on the caliber of courses like Shinnecock and Oak Hill and Pebble Beach. Eh, It's probably on the same category as Pebble Beach, although Pebble Beach, I think, is still a pretty good US Open venue for what it's worth. Um, But it, it does a lot of the same things that Torrey Pines and Bay Hill does. And if you listen to the podcast that I did with Joseph Lamagna where we ranked every single course on the PGA Tour, I kind of had all of those courses, Tory Pines, Quail Hollow, Bay Hill, uh bunched together in the middle like 18, 19, 20 out of I think 39 courses on the PGA Tour because the upside of them is that you're going to see bogeys you are going to see leaderboard movement you are going to see professional golfers hit long irons which actually should not be taken for granted because there's some courses that you go to and you do not see players use certain clubs in their bags it's just driver wedge driver wedge you will see long irons at quail hollow you will see resistance to par you will see very fast greens um hopefully you will see relatively firm conditions uh but strategically it's a very bland golf course i don't think there are many holes that i would argue where the strategy should not be to hit driver um now maybe there i mean there's there's some you could argue but a lot of the holes and the course has gotten better uh but it's still a lot of the same fazio tricks from T to green uh, and he to run through some of the changes we've got a new first hole that combines the old number one and number two A new fourth hole par three and fifth par four which divided up the old fifth hole which was a par five so it's now a par 71 um, they've changed the grass from mini verde to champion bermuda this is now more similar to uh sedgefield type greens tpc southwind country cup of jackson although i believe i want to check back in once we get the uh once we get the gs gcsa sheet uh but i believe it would still be overseeded this time of year if i'm correct based on the climate um and so since 2017 when they made all the changes the winners have been justin thomas Jason Day, Max Homa, Rory McIlroy, some big boys. Although, uh, I don't think Homa had really come into his own as a, as a great player at that point. Um, but for all intents and purposes, this is a beefy golf course that typically requires some all world ball striking. All four of the par threes play over par the sixth hole, which is a par three can tip out to over 250 yards. Two par fours are drivable, but the other nine par fours all measure greater than 450 yards. Five par fours measure over 480 yards. Ninth hole measures 505. Sixteenth hole measures 506. Um, And this easily explains the large plurality of approach shots coming from over 175 yards. Not going to have a lot of wedges in your hands on this golf course. The par fives do provide somewhat of a respite. All of them feature over a 30% birdie rate. Um, But now that the 2016 renovation changed the first hole from a short par five to a long par four, just not that many birdie opportunities at quail hall. There's only five holes that feature over a 15% birdie rate. Um, So you got to kind of methodically play this golf course and, Pick your spots and stay in the mix and get up and down when you miss greens and grind it out. It is famous for its finishing stretch, which I don't know is worthy of a nickname, but it has one. It's called the Green Mile. Uh, I think 18's uh, okay, but 16, 17, 18 holes make up. Those are three of the four hardest holes on the golf course. So they all play a quarter stroke over par. So this is the type of course where if you see a guy that's shooting a pretty good round and he's got 16, 17, 18, just hold your breath for a second because those are three of the four hardest holes on the course. It is a brutal finishing stretch. Kind of actually what I think makes this course more fun because you're watching on Sunday and you're like, Oh, holy shit. They've got 16, 17, 18. Whereas a lot of courses, it's like, oh, can you pick up another birdie on the closing stretch, right? You know, some of those, you've got a drivable par four in there or reachable par five. This is like, hang on for dear life, which is an interesting change of pace. I I like it. And the 18th hole, you know, hardest hole on the course, 4.3 scoring average. 30% 30% bogey rate and just a 7% birdie rate. Probably one of the hardest finishing holes in golf. Um, and since the 2016 renovation, it is played as the second, eighth and eighth most difficult course on the PGA tour schedule. I already compared it to Bay Hill and Torrey Pines category of long, difficult execution based golf courses that generally provide a uh, little strategic value, but remain a fine test of golf at the highest level. Uh, the roadmap at Quail Hollow, in my opinion, is quite simple. It's very similar to the roadmap at Bay Hill. Very similar to the roadmap at Torrey Pines. Can you drive the ball a long way? Can you be elite from 175 yards plus? Is your short game passable when you inevitably miss greens? It should not come as a surprise. Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, Jason Day have all experienced great success here. What do those guys have in common? They all hit the ball a long way off the tee. They're all great long iron players. And they all actually have really good short games for what it's worth. Um, So let's dive into the stats that matter. Actually, before we do that, let's take a quick break. All right, off the tee in 2021, 17.6% of strokes gain came off the tee that is comfortably above the tour average historic driving accuracy here, only 54% compared to the tour average of 62% each of the last 5 years, it is ranked inside the top 5 in toughest fairways to hit, but that does not mean that Quail Hollow is a challenging course off the tee, nor does it mean that players will be deterred from hitting driver. It ranked 30th out of 40 courses in strokes gain off the tee difficulty, and each of the last three years, it is ranked inside the top 10 easiest courses in strokes gain off the tee difficulty. The reason for this, the rough, very rarely grown out at this course, um, not a great deal of trouble to the driving areas. It ranks right around middle of the pack in terms of the width of its fairways. But, you know, similar to Torrey Pines and Bay Hill, it's just not a lot of a great deal of strategy involved off the tee. I would expect players to be bombing away with driver on nearly every hole. It ranks middle of the pack to the easier side in terms of miss fairway penalty, 28th out of 40 courses in rough penalty, 25th out of 40 courses in non-rough penalty, 15th in fraction of missed penalty a uh, fraction of missed fairways that result in the penalty stroke. And since Fazio lengthened the course, uh, each of the last four winners have averaged over 313 yards off the tee. Rory, JT, both finished in the top two in driving distance. Max Homa and Jason Day both finished top 20. None of those four that won the tournament ranked inside the top 40 in driving accuracy um Rory finished nearly dead last in driving accuracy when he won in 2021 and in 2021 you look at the top of the leaderboard Rory Keith Mitchell Victor Hovland Gary Woodland Luke Liss Bryson DeChambeau all those guys finished top 10 2019 same deal Max Homa Sergio Keith Mitchell Jonathan Vegas Rory McIlroy all in the top 10. 2018 was actually even the most because you you look at the top seven on the leaderboard: Jason Day, Nick Watney, Aaron Wise, Bryson, Paul Casey, Phil Mickelson, Peter Euline, all gained significantly to the field in driving distance. I talk about how there's certain courses, and this is one of them, where players like John Rahm and Rory McIlroy start on second base because they're such powerful drivers of the ball. And I do think that Quail Hollow fits that bill. I do think that you want to look at distance here. I think that players that have a high carry distance have a huge edge at Quail Hollow. And I feel really comfortable on this course that distance is more important than accuracy. That's not to say that shorter players... Abraham answer. Patrick Reed, Joel Damon can't compete. And like I said, we've seen examples of this before, but their roadmap to success is far more challenging. Um, being straight on this course helps, but I would call it far more of a luxury than a necessity. Um, I actually would am far more interested in identifying the players that give themselves uh, a greater edge on driver-heavy long golf courses. Uh, approach play, obviously really important as well. 33.1% of strokes gain at quail hollow came on approach actually just below the tour average of 34.7 quail hall ranks seventh out of 40, 40 courses in strokes gain approach difficulty. Each of the last three years, it is ranked as one of the most difficult approach courses on the PGA tour schedule. Historic greens and regulation percentage only 61% compared to the tour average of 65.8%. 2021 Quail Hall featured seventh most difficult greens to hit on the PGA tour. Each of the last three years, it is ranked inside the top 10 in lowest greens and regulation percentage. It is definitively a long iron course and 31.5% of approach shots come from 200 yards plus another, 22.2% come from 175 to 200. That's what you want to be looking at. That's the range that you want to be focusing on is 175 yards plus. And even with how much distance helps at quail hollow, I would still wait long iron play more heavily than I would distance off the tee. The second shot at quail hollow remains far more difficult than the first shot. And in both 2018 and 2019, every single one of the top 20 players on the leaderboard gained on approach. 2021, every single player in the top five gained over 3.5 strokes on approach. Got to be a really good long iron player here. It's it, it's fairly essential. Around the green, 17.7% uh, of strokes gained came around the green, which is comfortably above the tour average of 14.4%. I do not think that quail hollow is a per- particularly difficult or nuanced course around the greens necessarily, but any course that has as low of a greens and regulation percentage as quail hollow, you have to wait short game. Um, and around, it just cannot be ignored with that being said, I don't find the particular degree of difficulty on the surrounding green side areas. I don't think it's going to be inflicting too much fear into players. It's not going to stop me from potentially betting Victor Hovland. Um, uh, but Quail Hall ranked 22nd out of 40 courses in around the green difficulty from the fairway, 24th out of 40 courses in around the green difficulty from the rough and 17th out of 40 courses in around the green difficulty from the bunkers. Each of the last three years, it's ranked easier than tour average in all the around the green metrics. It is definitely my lowest weight of all four major categories in 2019. None of the top four guys on the leaderboard gained over a stroke around the green, 2020 three of the top five on the leaderboard lost strokes around the green 2021 Keith Mitchell finished third, nearly losing three strokes around the green. So Again, luxury, bonus, you should look at it, worth waiting. But if somebody is not great around the green, I wouldn't rule them out. I wouldn't eliminate them. Um, but it's a bonus. And JT, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, those are all examples of elite players that actually have a really awesome short game. Um, so again, It's not as much as I would weigh distance, certainly not as much as I would weigh long-iron play, but I don't think you can ignore it. And then putting, 31.7% of strokes gained came putting, which is comfortably below the tour average of 35.6. This is definitely not a putting contest. This is a fine examination of tee-to-green play. Uh, But Fazio does stuff on his greens. Um, they're certainly not flat. Last time we saw this course at the president's cup, they were like weirdly fast. Like I was surprised how fast they were. I don't know just because of this time of year, if they are going to be as fast as what we saw at the president's cup and in fall when it was a little, maybe firmer and more baked out, um, 2021 Quail Hollow, six out of 40 courses in strokes same putting difficulty. So players struggled on these greens. Players struggled on these greens in the President's Cup. Guys were missing five-footers left and right and three-putting left and right. Um, there's undulation to these greens. Uh, last year, it ranked eighth out of 40 courses in putting difficulty inside five feet. 19th out of 40 courses uh, from five to 15 feet and third out of 40 courses in putting greater than 15 feet. If there's one stat that I think is underrated this week, that I think is very important and valuable at a course like quail Hollow, especially because you have so many long iron approach shots. So the proximity of the hole at this course is towards the bottom of the PGA tour because guys are just hitting so many long irons on this course. They're not going to have a ton of birdie looks inside 15 feet. You're going to hit a lot of approach shots to 35, 40 feet. So I actually think lag putting on this course is really important and something to look at and something I'm looking at and something I'm valuing as well as obviously, of course, uh, Bermuda grass putting. Um, And, you know, like at the end of the day too, despite quail hollow being a course that does a like I said, a fine job of separating elite from average tee to green play. Every player in the top eight of the leaderboard in 2018 gained over four strokes putting in 2019, you know, Homa was good from tee to green, but he won that tournament because he gained 10 strokes putting. Um, and Rory, interestingly enough, was great from tee to green too, but he actually gained far more strokes putting than in any other major category so you know the guys that are the best at two putting and occasionally making a bomb from 35 40 feet uh it matters um it's far from a putting contest but it does this is a golf course that does test every aspect of a player's game like i would still look at lag putting here um jason duffner rory mcelroy aaron wise Those are the only three guys. There's three guys um, in the last three years that have finished top 10 at Quail Hollow losing strokes putting. That's it. Only three guys. Um, So don't ignore that either. And then uh, scoring stats uh, is such a long golf course. So, you know, the ancillary stats that I wanted to examine were, how have players performed on other long golf courses? How have players performed in difficult scoring conditions? You know, there are certain players such as Roy McElroy that significantly raise their baseline on longer golf courses because of their power off the tee. Um, but then again, there's also players such as Patrick Reed that is not very, actually, you know, Corey Connors is actually kind of like this too. Like it's, it's strange how good Corey Connors is at gaining strokes off the tee on long golf courses despite featuring below average distance. That is how straight he is. Like, TPC San Antonio is an underratedly long golf course. It's not as long as Quail Hollow, but it's long. And Corey Connors dominates there, and he dominates off the tee, and he's great off the tee at Bay Hill, too. So there are players that despite featuring below average distance off the tee have no issues competing on long golf courses. That's why I say, don't just look at distance, you know, cross check that with how players perform on long golf courses and do that on rickring We have a long golf course filter where you can just check the box and see how guys perform off the tee and strokes gain total on long golf courses. Um, and, of course, there's certain players that really struggle on big ballparks like Quail Hollow and Torrey Pines. Those are the guys you want to avoid. But there's other shorter players that do not lower their baseline as much as you would expect. Patrick Reed I mentioned. Joel Damon's been great here. I mentioned Colin Maracalla and Corey Connors as examples of guys in this field, too, that have no problems on long golf courses. And you shouldn't be afraid of them on long golf courses. Even Speeth a little bit, too. Despite, and Spieth's not a great long iron player, but he's, Spieth is not short by any means. He's actually plenty long and his track record on long golf courses is, is better than you would think. So in terms of course history and comp course history, twelfth out of 40 courses in terms of the predictive nature of its course history, definitely some nuance to the green complexes here. I don't think there's a, a lot of nuance to the strategy from T to green. Um, but it tends to be the type of golf course that the same types of players, the same player profiles, you know, even not obviously Roy McElroy is going to fit any course well, but like Keith Mitchell, Luke List, Johnny Vegas, you know, those are all guys that have, that are, not necessarily good at every golf course super long off the tee and what do you know really good at quail hollow so i do believe that you know players with that type of skill set can experience success here immediately even if they have not played this golf course and then in terms of comps you know i've mentioned tory pines and bay hill i think those are the best ton of crossover on those leaderboards um Like Rory McIlroy and Jason Day, I think those are, you know, those have been the two best guys at Quail Hollow. Guess what? They're also the two best guys at Torrey Bay Hill. Um, All those courses reward distance off the tee, ton of long iron shots. Uh, I would refrain from looking too heavily at Muirfield Village as a reference point. I, I bet you that's one that people lazily throw in here. And, and the reason why I would say there's a, actually a big difference with Muirfield Village and why Muirfield Village, I think, is a better golf course than Quail and Torrey and Bay Hill, um, there's actually like a massive penalty for missing the fairway. Um, and that places like a much greater emphasis, in my opinion, on driving accuracy. Um, and I know the fairways are wide at Muirfield Village, but that actually creates way more strategic value off the tee whereas the fairways are so narrow at quail hollow tory pines and bay hill that it just simply turns into a long drive competition and then in terms of some corollary courses uh that are you know second and third tier that i would put behind bay hill and tory pines but are still worth looking at memorial park country club of jackson Um, Memorial Park is another long and difficult golf course where distance and long iron player are very important. Uh, there's way more color in my opinion to the green complexes at Memorial Park because they were designed by Tom Doak, but both courses seem to attract the same style of play. And then country club of Jackson, far more straightforward than even quail easier than quail. But still a long golf course with a ton of drivers, a bunch of long irons, and very similar agronomy. Same part of the country. Um, And then, like, you know, you can always look at places like Olympia Fields, Winged Foot, Doral. I don't even think you're crazy for... There's obviously tons of Augusta Crossover here, too. Um, Okay, so I threw all this together in a model and... You know, here's who it shot out. Very chalky at the top, which happens always at courses like Quail Hollow, Torrey Pines, Bay Hill, because guess what happens on execution style golf courses? What do you know? The best players in the world happen to be very long off the tee and great long iron players. That is what makes them the best players in the world. That is what makes them the most deadly at these events, and that is what makes them the most deadly at major championships as well. So here's my top 20. Not a ton of surprises at the top. Rory McIlroy, number one. Uh, This golf course was built for Rory. He's He's won here three times. Absolutely immaculate course history. Number two, Xander, who I think is... Very dangerous this week. Um, There are a couple guys that I think I'm more inclined to bet just because I'm worried about Xander's odds. But I think Xander is very dangerous this week. Tony Finau, number three. He might win in Mexico. Uh, I'm recording this on Saturday evening just to date myself. We shall see tomorrow. Uh, Number four, Max Homa. Unsurprising former champion here. Number five, Victor Hovland. I've been riding the Victor train. I have not actually. That's a lie. I bet him at the heritage. Um and I like him more here. So I think I'm gonna bet him again, depending on the odds. This is a train I've been riding. Sung J M. I bet Sung J two weeks in a row. Once I get through the top twenty, I'll talk about why I think he. Eh, there's two guys tied in terms of that I think are going to win this tournament. It's going to be one of these two guys. It's going to be either Sung J. M. Uh, or the guy that is 10th that I'll get to in a second. Patrick Cantlay, number seven dangerous as well. Obviously number eight, Tyrrell Hatton number nine, Colin Morikawa who I like, and I'm hoping that we get some slide on Colin. I actually like this spot for Morikawa. And then I think your champion this week is Justin Thomas, who I'm hoping will be, I know he won the 27 PGA here, but what has JT done this year? Give us a 25, huh? Um, 11, Jason day makes a ton of sense, right? He's won here before he's playing great golf. 12, Tommy Fleetwood. Nothing would make me happier, but uh, he he's probably more of a DraftKings play than an outright bet. Thirteen Shane Lowry, fourteen Keegan Bradley, fifteen Jordan Spieth, sixteen Cameron Young, who I think will be quite popular this week. I still have he he falls for me because he's just he he's not a good putter or a, have as a good short game. So as great as the TD green play is, um, I actually think. You need a really complete game at Quail Hollow. Um, and that's why I like players more like Rory and Xander and Sung Jay, who do kind of everything well or just a little bit more balanced in what they do well than, than Cam Young. 17, Tom Kim. think people are going to rule him out because he's not long off the tee. I think you'll get some some nice low ownership on Tom Kim this week in like the high 7K range maybe even now because he hasn't been very good this year. Gary Woodland, disappointing Gary. Uh, disappointing for Gary in Mexico. That was a pretty damn good spot for Gary. 19, Davis Riley, 20, Corey Connors. So I think the three guys, um, I'm usually not this – locked into my betting card on a Saturday evening, but I've done a fair amount of stuff on this tournament already. I've been able to get ahead and I've gone through the players more, way more in depth this week than I have the last couple of weeks, essentially, you know, since the masters basically. Um, and the three guys that are my priorities if I can fit all three, I'll be a very happy guy. Is Sung JT, and Victor. Those are those are my three guys that I'm that I'm riding with this week. And I think all these guys need a win and are close to a win, some more than others. I think Sung Jay's really close to a win. I love what Sung Jay has been doing all this year. Um again. This is an example of a guy that is not incredibly long off the tee, but seventh in this field off the tee on long golf courses. He's a good long iron player. He's got a great short game. We know that he can putt well on Bermuda. Um, Fourth in difficult scoring conditions. Sixth on long golf courses. So I know... Maybe people think that Sung Jay is incredibly well shoot, suited for these shorter positional golf courses, which he is. I think Sung cannot be typecast. I think he is a really underrated, complete player that is going to win a major. Um, and I bet him at the Heritage, too. I think that he can, I think his game molds for every type of golf course because I do not think he has a lot of weaknesses and he won at Bay Hill and he's actually been great at Tory Pines really strong at Country Club of Jackson for for what it's worth as well 31st and missed cut here in two appearances that's fine got some more reps at the President's Cup where he was adequate and he's just playing like sneakily incredible golf um Sixth at the Zurich. Uh, prior to that, he was in contention at the Heritage, where we had him, where he gained 4.4 off the tee, 2.8 on approach, 3.8 around the green, lost 1.4 putting. If Sung JM is a plus one or plus two putter that week, he's in the playoff with Spieth and Fitzpatrick. And he's just on an incredible. Run right now, six straight top 25 finishes in a row, uh, including back-to-back performances where he is, you know, had an incredibly strong chance to win on Sunday. You know, him and Mitchell, who I had as well, although I didn't end up being very bums because the guys that I had at 60 to one ended up winning, but they had that tournament by the balls for a, a lot of it. Um, 16th at the Masters. Sixth at the players, you know, 10 top 25 finishes in 13 starts all over the leaderboard. Fourth at Torrey, six at Phoenix. Um, he's damn close. And I think with some of these guys that haven't won, you know, as much Sung Jay, JT, Victor, Colin Xander, even, um, you know, I feel a little bit better about taking a chance on those guys when the two guys that have won half the elevated events aren't playing. Rahm and Scheffler aren't here. Um, so, you know, I think that maybe for some of these guys that are really great golfers and have been top 25 machines all season, um, it's a good opportunity for them. And I know Justin Thomas has been the most frustrating and just bad elite golfer this season because I still think he's an elite golfer. Um, And the reason for that is, the reason why he's been so bad this season, well, it's twofold. There's two reasons that you could blame it on. I dug into this a little bit deeper because I was curious and I was thinking about it. Um. And I'm going to write more about JT and tweet some more stuff about JT uh, in the weeks leading into the PGA. I don't think he's going to win at Oak Hill, but I just think it's interesting how much the iron play has really taken a turn for the worse for him this season. I mean, he is just objectively an above-average iron player this year, but he's no longer elite with his irons for, like, past six months um you know you look at the last 75 rounds for Ju- for Justin Thomas he's 70th from 200 yards plus you know you f- you rewind a year two years he's top five in long iron play but man have his iron numbers gone downhill um specifically the long irons he just hasn't been good um from 175 from 270 from 200 yards plus he just he hasn't been himself and that's why you're not getting you know that's why you're getting the miscut at the masters right it's the putter of course too but justin thomas has never been a good putter i mean he's always gone through his ups and downs with the putter and don't get me wrong the putter's been bad this season, and it's still been a bad putting season even for JT. But it's really the Irons that have taken a turn for the worst. What's interesting is he has the best short game in the world, essentially, in my opinion, this year. I mean, statistically and in my opinion. He's got the best short game in this entire field for what it's worth. You know, And he still cleans up on these types of golf courses. Ninth in difficult scoring conditions. Tenth on long golf courses. He won the PGA here. And he wants it right now, right? And he's taken a little bit of time off. He's gotten a two weeks between where we last saw him at the Heritage, where his irons were very good. 3.8 on approach. Now, he didn't have to hit half the long irons, that he would have to hit on this golf course. And that's the interesting thing about JT. As you look at the middle to short irons, he is still an awesome wedge player. He is still a great, you know, dead arm wedge player. One of the best that you will ever find. One of the most creative players inside a hundred yards of the last two, three decades. But the reason why, uh, you know, he's not contending at Tory Bay Hill, Augusta, right? It's, it's the iron play and the putter, obviously, but the iron play, really. I mean, the two biggest tournaments of the year, JT, is 60th at the players and miscut at the Masters. If I know anything about Justin Thomas, that's eating him alive. And I think with some of the other elite players – we know that Rahm and Scheffler are like, their mind's are already on O'Kill, obviously. They're not even showing up. Rory has to show up because he's won here three times, but his mind's on O'Kill. JT needs a fucking win. Um, JT needs to get on the board. And for as bad as he's been for his standards, <laughs> um, he's still, the ball striking's been still good enough For me to believe that he is not far away from winning a golf tournament um, if the putter finally breaks right. He's still gained over five. I mean, he's driving the ball really well still. He's still getting, you know, he's plenty long off the tee. You know, I watched some of that 2017 PGA. He was automatic with his driver that week. I like JT golf courses where you can spray it a little bit, which I do think you can here. But he still gained over five ball striking in three of his last five starts. But, you know, results-wise, unequivocally his worst season in years. Um, but still, seven top 25s in nine starts. And that's what we call bad for Justin Thomas. So, you know, I know we don't have Rahman and Scheffler here, but I don't understand why JT would be under 20. You know, aren't you going to put, especially if Finau hangs tough in contention, Finau's been better than him. Sungjae's been better than him. Cantlay's been better than him. Rory will be 8-9-1. to one. Xander's been better than JT this season. Homa's been better than JT this season. I mentioned Cantley. Honestly, Jason Day's been better than JT this season and has won at this golf course as well. And you also have Hovland, Morikawa, and Speeth, who's been better than JT this season. Speeth playing great golf. So I don't, I mean, I think you got to have JT at least in the 20s. And that is my hope. And because Sung isn't as brand name, even though he's playing elite golf right now. And my number suggests that Sung is elite and a top ten player in this field, a top seven player in this field right now. He's got to be in the twenties for an elevated event, too. You know, he's twenty-eight at Harbortown, been really good since Harbor Town with two contending performances, and Rom and Scheffler aren't in the field. But are they really still gonna put Sung below twenty to one here? Um, I sure hope not. I can tell you that. And I will happily pivot to more Kala, who's the other guy, I'm, or even Xander. If Xander is the one that, that somehow one of these guys will get not neglected, but there's an order in this field right now that could be argued a lot of ways. Um, you could make a lot of compelling cases for who should be, three through 12 on the odds board. I'm willing to hear cases on a lot of different players. So I do think that the guys that, you know, the odds makers decide are ninth on the odds board instead of third. You know, I think Rory will be one and Cantley will be two because they just, they like putting Cantley at 14 to one. Um, and he's been playing phenomenal, but Who's the third guy? Is it Xander? Is it Finao? Is it Homa? Is it Sung Is it JT? Is it Jason Day? Is it Spieth? And then, you know, you start going down the line. Is it, you know, somebody is going to be, somebody's going to have to, Cameron Young, right? You know, somebody's going to have to fall a little bit. So that's who I'm eyeing. And then Victor, too. I wanted to mention Victor real quick and then we'll get out of here um i just think it's time for this guy uh he played here one time and finished third gained eight strokes ball striking he's plenty long off the tee raises his baseline off the tee on long golf courses uh still an elite long iron player seventh in difficult scoring conditions sixth on long golf courses This is absolutely the type of course that fits Hovland's skill set really well. And it's interesting because I actually always thought that Hovland would win for the first time at Quail Hollow, Bay Hill, or Torrey Pines. Um, And when I say win for the first time, I know he's won overseas. I know he's won on those fall swing events. He needs that big American win badly. It's Crazy that he hasn't gotten it yet. Um, and he's art, like, again, Has contended at Bay Hill has contended at Torrey Pines has contended here, still a very disappointing 59th at the heritage, but he lost seven strokes putting, hit the ball. Great approach improved. Um, and he has really returned over the past couple of weeks to like, we are nearing peak Victor Hovland ball striking form. Over five strokes ball striking in six of his last seven starts. Only time he didn't was at the match play. So six six individual stroke play starts in a row, he's gaining over five ball striking. That is a bet-on situation. That is a player that you bet on. Nine starts this season, hasn't missed a cut, six top 20 finishes, three top 10s, API players and masters. So he showed up in the biggest events too. Great at Augusta. Great at the players. Great at the API. Going to get suckered into Vic. Um, Okay, so that'll do it for me. Very forthcoming with my hashtag picks this week. Uh, I like JT. I like Sungjae. I like Victor Hovland. I'm monitoring Xander and Colin. Uh, But that will do it for me. Best of luck with your... Uh, you know, anyone you got in the mix in Mexico? Uh, Finao and Rom seem to have separated a little bit. Although got Will Gordon in the top five, I guess. Um, and we will see you next week. Ton of fun stuff coming up. Oak Hill gonna be right around the corner. Before we know it, uh, the Knicks are in the second round of the playoffs. Almost did a big Knicks thing at the top. Knicksed it. Not necessary these pot, these solo ones don't need to be more than an hour. You know, um, there's other, there's other situations where I can talk Knicks and if they keep playing well, I'll have somebody on to talk about the Knicks with me, but this is the happiest sports time of my life, uh, in terms of a team that I've rooted for and been going to Madison square garden since I was five years old. My oldest, Memories growing up, my best memories growing up are going to Madison Square Garden with my dad. Um, I might fly back to, to uh, Oak Hill early and s- spend some time in New York if they continue to do what they're doing. Although Jimmy Butler scares the absolute shit out of me. Um, but this is the best, most fun, most enjoyable Knicks team of my lifetime. Um it's a underdog cast of characters. You know, people criticize the Jalen Brunson signing. Um, they criticize the not biting on the Mitchell trade. Well, guess what? Jalen Brunson kicked Mitchell's ass in the first round in a gentleman's sweep. And RJ Barrett, who was supposed to be one of the centerpieces of that trade really stepped up and outplayed Donovan Mitchell for stretches as well. And I love Donovan Mitchell and I was devastated when we didn't get him. And I think that he is a top 10 guy in the league, but that team of Cavaliers, which are more talented than us, way more impact players than us, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. Those are all really high impact guys. Um, But we are way better coached. Uh, I mean, we ran circles around Bickerstaff, who I thought coached a horrible series. Um, And we're a way tougher basketball team. And we outplayed them defensively. We thoroughly outplayed them defensively. And the Cavs are a really good defensive team. They ranked first in defensive rating this season. Evan Mobley, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Really tough defensive team. And we played... You know, the it's the best defense that I've seen them play all series. And I watch every Knicks game. And if I miss a Knicks game, I watch the detailed recap. Shout out Knicks film school, Blue Wire fam. Um, so, you know, I'm terrified about this Heat team mainly because of Jimmy Butler. Um, and mainly because we do not have the coaching advantage anymore. I think Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. So they're better coached than us. They do have more playoff experience than us, but they're thin. They are thin, and they are beatable. And it's a lot of fool's gold with this Heat team. I mean, they shot 45% in the first round from three. That's not sustainable. You know, we shot—we're the worst shooting team in the playoffs. You know, we shot 28% from three and took out the Cavs in five. So I think our style and our brand of basketball for the playoffs is um, more sustainable than the Heats. And I'm going to obviously bet the Knicks. But Jimmy Butler scares the shit out of me. Um, And I think that's that's the one thing where it's like, how unconscious is Jimmy going to be? But again, you know... He, he needs, you need a good Bam series. I think the Bam-Mitchell matchup, who Mitchell Robinson just absolutely took Jared Allen, who for much of the year was considered a better center than him, to the fucking woodshed, to the absolute woodshed. And this is a guy that, you know, was never thought of as like a real impact guy And in a closeout game five, Mitchell Robinson for long stretches of that game is the best player on the floor. You know, 18 offensive rebounds in his last two games. So there you go. I could do another 30 minutes on the next, I just gave you five. Uh, but that will do it for me again. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'll be back on this podcast feed on Monday night. Uh,